Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 11, to verses 28 through 30. Again, Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Please do give your attention now to the reading of God's holy word. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's part the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord once again in prayer. Oh, Father, as we do look around, we see the effects of the fall everywhere. We see uh, people living in misery, having no ability to climb out of it, having no hope in this world, going from bad to worse all the time. How we do pray that now through the preaching of your gospel, as we come to this great and glorious text, where there is, through the Lord Jesus Christ, the offer of rest, from our weary toils and labors under the sun. Lord, may it be that you would open the eyes uh, of many to see the glory of this, uh, perhaps for the first time, but perhaps even just seeing it afresh, uh, the glory in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our labors, the glory of the rest that is found in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. How thankful we are for him, that he is the one who is able to bring us to that promised land of rest, who himself has rested from his labors, who himself raised from the dead, and who has defeated uh, the devil himself, that we might uh, enter into uh, the blessed enjoyment of you to all eternity. Lord, help us now to see here the glory of the gospel uh, in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For we do ask all this in the name of Jesus himself. Amen. There are um, often a number of terms that are used in Christianity that are not defined. They are kind of assumed that people know them. Uh, And oftentimes it can be the case that we can use terms over and over again, and we don't really know what they mean or know where they come from. And so I wanted to just take a little bit of time here at the beginning to address two terms that usually go together, and yet that need to be distinguished. And those are the two terms of mercy and grace. Uh, Mercy and grace. We say that God is merciful. We say that he is gracious. And we often put those two particular things together. And yet there is a difference between the two. And it's important to keep in mind what we are saying when we say that God is merciful. And also what we are saying when we say that God is gracious. Each one of these things answers to, to a problem that we have as a result of the fall. So if you'll remember in your, your catechism, Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, chapter, uh, question 17, into what estate did the fall bring mankind? The fall brought mankind into an estate of two things, sin and misery. Because of the fall, we are made sinful in Adam. We are therefore subject to all kinds of punishment. We are guilty before God. But also, because of the fall, we are also miserable. There is a misery that comes to us as a result of the fall. And this is, this is something that we're subject to at every part 
of our lives. And when we say that God is merciful and gracious, these are two things that we use to describe God that answer to these two great problems that we have, mercy and grace. When we think of uh, grace, what we are saying is that God expresses his love to sinners as sinners who are guilty before him and gives them unmerited favor. He forgives them of their sins. When we talk about mercy, what we are saying is that God expresses his love to sinners in their miserable condition by pitying them in that condition and bringing them aid through the gospel. So there are two things that we see that God does for us then. We say that God is loving. He's loving towards sinners. He expresses his love to sinners in mercy and in grace. He is gracious to us when we sin against him and forgives our sins. He is merciful to us in our pitiful condition. He looks down, has pity on us in, in the misery, the muck and the mire of our sin. And he brings us aid and brings us out into, as the Catechism also says, into an estate of salvation. And so the question then, brothers and sisters, as we think about this particular text is, are you in a state of misery? Are you living a life that is miserable because you are tired, you are heavy laden, you understand what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying here about the burdens of life, you find them to be very heavy, and you are searching for ways to find rest from all of the wearisome toil that you experience under the sun. The thing to hear this morning is that God is merciful. God is merciful. He looks down upon you in your pitiful condition and in the misery of your sin, and he offers you in the gospel, if you will turn away from your sins and turn to him, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will find rest for your souls. How good it is to think, brothers and sisters, that this is what is offered to you in the gospel, that God is compassionate on sinners. He does not just stand aloof at your sufferings, but he offers you rest in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what is needed for every soul, every single person in the world. For as Augustine has said, our hearts are restless. They're restless until they find rest in you. Now, this text comes, uh, again, at the end of Christ responding to overwhelming unbelief. Remember, the message of the gospel has been put forward to many people, and the Lord uh, Jesus Christ has testified that very many people have doubted or they have not believed outright in the gospel. And last week we looked at the beginning of this response that the Lord Jesus Christ has as he sees unbelief everywhere. And we see that the Lord Jesus Christ was able, in the midst of what seems like an overwhelming ministry failure, that no people are coming to, to him, that in the midst of that situation, he is still able to praise God because he sees that even in God hiding the truth from some, that God is still displaying his glory. And so he begins here by, uh, in verses 25 to 27, with a, 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 a word of praise to God for even the unbelief that he sees all around him. And then after that, after he speaks about the sovereign grace of God, he then once again puts before people, even though there are many who will not believe, even though there are many who do not believe, that if you will turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will find rest for your soul. And for all of those who don't, you will continue in the misery of this life. There's no way to avoid the misery of this life. It is a product of the fall. If, if you have Adam as your father, then this life will always be miserable. It must be miserable. But Christ offers rest 
for your souls. And this is uh, one of the, the, the great things about this particular text as well, is it, it puts before um, but, uh, puts before us on kind of in, in back-to-back ways um, two things that we sometimes as Christians have sh- struggled to put together and to articulate how these things can go together. Uh, that is the sovereignty of God's grace. God is sovereign over everyone who comes to him. And yet, secondly, the free offer of the gospel. Christ declares God is 100% sovereign over everyone who comes to him in verses 25 to 27. And then he immediately puts before every single person the free offer of the gospel. If any person in the world who finds themselves living a life of pure misery, if they will turn from their sins and submit themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, they will find rest for their souls. This is the offer of the gospel. If you are weary and miserable, come to Jesus that you might find this perfect rest. Now we'll look at this passage under two headings. First in verses uh, 28 and the first part of 29. And we'll actually uh, get into a little bit at the end of the text here as well. We'll look at the call, the call, the, 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 the offer of the gospel as it's given by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verses 29, the, the end of 29 and 30, we'll look at the, the grounds or the reasons uh, why the Lord Jesus Christ says that you should, in fact, come to him. So Christ makes an offer of the gospel. And then he says, this is the reason why uh, you should come. And we'll see uh, here this, this uh, great offer. Uh, that for all those who are weary and heavy laden, there is this offer uh, of rest. Now, as we think about the weary and heavy laden, notice that's the way the text begins. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Uh, Who does this refer to? Who does it refer to? Well, as I've uh, mentioned, um, because of our doctrine of the fall, and because we can see this really all around us, uh, everywhere we can see the miseries of this life, um, it refers very clearly to everyone. Every single person is subject to this misery. And this is, again, because of the fall. Even the language here, the language that's being used with regard to weary and heavy laden um, is reminiscent of the fall itself. You'll remember that when God made Adam, he took him from the dust of the earth. And because he took him from the dust of the earth, there was this relationship that he had with the ground. He was to work the ground and the ground was, was going to respond by, by yielding itself of its fruits. And therefore, life was going to be preserved. Uh, even the word Adam is similar to the word for ground in Hebrew. The word for ground in Hebrew being Adama. So there's, a, there's Adama and Adam uh, for uh, the different words for Adam and the ground. So there's a relationship between Adam and the ground. And yet... When Adam fell, when he sinned against God, what God told him in Genesis chapter 3 was that there was going to be now a disruption of this relationship that Adam had with the ground, such that it will no longer yield its fruit easily, and now life will be a toil and a struggle. So you were taken from the ground. The ground will no longer yield its fruit to you. Now it will bear thorns and thistles. You will work of it at the ground by the sweat of your brow all of your life. It will be hard and toilsome work. Life will now be difficult. And at the end of this toilsome work, you will then die. Uh, That is what God said to Adam as a result of what had happened uh, to him because of his great sins. And so from that day on then, from that day on, every single person was subject to a life that was characterized by hard labor and toil, by struggles, by difficulties, by misery that will ultimately end only in death. And then because of this, then there was a hope uh, that was given that anyone who had hope um, had, they were hoping that God would uh, free them from this kind of toil. This, this is the reason why in the, all throughout the scriptures, the idea of rest is, is always a part of salvation. 
Um, you are to have rest from the toil and struggles, the labors, the miseries that have been caused by the fall. And so even then, after this first gospel promise that came also in Genesis chapter 3, there was this hope that the people had that they would have find somebody who would be able to give them rest from their uh, labors. And we see this even with, with Noah. So Noah, his name itself means rest. So Noah in, in Hebrew is the word for rest. And the reason he is named this, we're told in Genesis chapter 5, verse 29, is out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one, being Noah, shall bring us rest. He shall bring us rest from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. They hoped that Noah would have been the Messiah, and the kind of salvation that they were expecting was rest from all the miseries, all the toils, all the labors of this life. But Noah ultimately did not give them rest. He, the, the world was preserved through him, uh, and yet there was just as much misery after Noah as there was uh, before Noah. Then we see the people of God being slaves to, to Pharaoh and to Egypt. They cried out to God that he would save them. Uh, this, 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 the, the description of what life was like for the people of God under that slavery was a wearisome. It was a, it was a wearisome burden and a toil. They themselves would, would work because of, the, of being uh, subject to their enemies. They were in slavery. And all of this was related to, uh, to the curse itself. God brings them out of slavery and he brings them even into the promised land, the promised land being the land of rest. And yet, even in the promised land, as, as you, if you've been with us in the series in Hebrews, you, you'll know this from uh, Hebrews chapter 4, ultimately the people of God who went into the promised land did not find that ultimate climactic rest because there, as David says in Psalm 95, there remains a rest for the people of God. He who was in the promised land was still looking for a future day uh, of rest. And the reason why none of these were able to give rest to, to the people is because ultimately the miseries of this life are related to the fact that we are in bondage to decay. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, we are subject to death being slaves of Satan. And this Satan, this accuser, this enemy that we have, is one who accuses us before God day and night, and he's always, because of our sins, able to declare before God that we are worthy of death. And so this is the hope of all mankind in every age, and the weariness, the toil, the struggles, the labors of this life will always continue so long as you are merely in Adam. There has never been anyone outside of the Lord Jesus Christ who is able to grant rest from the misery that is everywhere. This is the reason why all life outside of Christ is always empty. Uh, this is why I can, without even knowing you, know that if you are not walking uh, it, with Christ, you've felt this. You've felt the misery, the state of misery that we are all found in outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why nothing will satisfy. Uh, this, is, this is the reason why you go through uh, difficult times and you wonder if it will ever get better, if this is all that there is to life. All this is because of the fall. And we all experience this in different ways. You think of problems that we have with our health as the body deteriorates. You think of problems at work. You think of problems that cause great stress and anxiety. You think about the stress and anxiety that people feel today is a product of the wearisome toil of the fall. 
problems finding fulfillment and joy, if you are one who is always pursuing pleasures and, and uh, joys and various things, you think that this will be the way that you can uh, escape from the miseries of this life, but you find them ultimately to be empty. Uh, problems knowing what your purpose is in life, thinking that there has to be more to life than just my continual existence day in uh, and day out. Uh, problems with family and friends, problems in marriage, and ultimately problems with death itself. All of these things are related to the wearisome toil, the struggle that everyone has to experience under the sun. And therefore, brothers and sisters, the question is, uh, as you think about the ways in which you are burdened by these things, which, which again, every single person in the world is burdened by them, where can you go to find real, lasting, definitive rest for your souls? Where can you go to find peace? The answer is, you can only go to Christ. You can only go to Christ. He is the one who promises to give rest. In the midst of a world of great pain, Christ offers rest to all who will come to him. He says uh, in this text, uh, as we just read in verse 28, come to me, come to me all you who, are la who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you that rest that the people were hoping for in the days of Noah, that he could not give them. I will give you the rest that the people were hoping for when they would cross over the, the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, into that promised land. I will give you the definitive rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls such that even in the midst of great miseries in this world, uh, they will be replaced with an, a joy that is deep-seated in your soul such that even when you suffer, the joy is still there, a joy that transcends every kind of earthly sorrow and pain that the Apostle Peter describes as a joy unspeakable and full of glory, that a joy where the miseries of this life, all the toils and struggles will be replaced by the hope of the new heavens and the new earth. You will find rest for your souls in that you will have peace with God you will find rest from all of your toils and labors. You will understand the love of God, know His purpose for you, uh, know the comfort of knowing that God as your Father will protect you and guide you, and that ultimately He will raise you from the dead, even as He did the Lord Jesus Christ uh, so many years ago. This is the rest for the souls of Christians that Christians have always understood in, in every age. And this is the thing that has always enabled Christians to suffer well in this life. They realize, as the Apostle Paul has said, that whatever sufferings we may endure in this life, they are but light and momentary afflictions preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. That eternal weight of glory is the rest that we will enter into. It's, it's, a, it's a weight of glory that even now has begun in the hearts of all those who know the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, eternal life is knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. All those who know Him have already entered into uh, this, uh, this knowledge of Christ and therefore have eternal life even now. And brothers and sisters, this is always the offer of the gospel. You who are tired, you who are heavy laden, come to Christ that you might find refreshment. The offer of the gospel is the fulfillment of what the prophets have said, that there is coming a day when every man will sit, every man under his vine or his fig tree, and there will be none to make him afraid. He will live in perfect peace. He will destroy his implements of war. There'll be no need for those anymore. And he will simply have rest with God forever. This is the offer of the gospel. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will give you rest for your soul. Now, 
the command to come, there's actually three things that the Lord Jesus said, that the Lord Jesus Christ commands here. So this, this uh, call to come to the gospel, or to come to Christ in the gospel, uh, the call of the gospel is actually takes, uh, again, three commands. So the first one is just the command to come. Secondly, notice the next thing, the next command that's given in verse 29, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. That's what Christ says next. Now, what does it mean to take a yoke upon uh, yourself? Um, yokes are described in the scriptures, and they're, they're very much related to the idea of servitude or slavery. So if you if you are under a yoke, it means that there is someone who is able to control you. They can, the one who controls the yoke can control the person who is uh, under the yoke. And so, for instance, when uh, the people of God were slaves in the land of Egypt, they were under the yoke of the Egyptians. They were under the yoke of Pharaoh, and they found this yoke to be uh, very wearisome and tiresome. And so the idea here of taking on the yoke of Christ means that you would uh, submit yourself to him such that you recognize that he is the Lord and even that you in this sense become his slave. Now this then becomes quite uh, in some sense paradoxical. Uh, What Christ is calling you to in the gospel is to find definitive rest for your souls, to enter into, as the Apostle Paul says, freedom the freedom of the sons of God, but you enter into that freedom by taking upon you the yoke of Christ such that you become his slave. Uh, In the gospel, uh, true freedom is found in slavery to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's found in service to him. And so uh, if you find yourself weary, heavy laden, the idea is, is that the only way to find true rest is actually to take on the yoke of another. Now, you may be asking, how could this be? How could it be that a Christian would find freedom in the service of another? Freedom even in being a slave of another? Well, the answer that's given is uh, given in the text later on, verse 30, in fact, my yoke is easy and my burden uh, is light. Christ is not a hard taskmaster. The obedience that he requires, and the Lord Jesus Christ does require our obedience. He is our king. We, we must obey him. Uh, but the obedience that he requires is a obedience that's not burdensome. Remember what the apostle John says in 1 John 5? Uh, his commandments are not burdensome to us. The commandments of Christ lead to life. There are commandments that reflect the goodness and holiness of God. There are commandments that show the path of righteousness. We're not justified by obedience to the commandments of Christ, and yet um, we would still say the commandments of Christ are good. They are good for us to uh, obey. And there is therefore a necessity of submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ as king. This taking on the yoke of Christ is necessary. It is needed. The reason it is necessary is because The ideal for man, which is very often what what people are trying to do in their sins, they're trying to cast off every authority so that they can be free. The idea of freedom for man conceived of today is if, if no one is able to tell me what to do, then I am free. But the reality is, is that there is no way to cast off every yoke in this way. There's, it's, it's not possible. What is being offered in the gospel is that you would trade in the yoke that is binding you to Satan and a yoke of death itself, to trade that in for the comparatively exceedingly light yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can either be a slave to Satan and to death and to sin, or you can be a slavery to the, uh, a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
There is no way to live such that you cannot be uh, a slave in one sense uh, or another. And so perhaps, you know, perhaps you're here and you're, you're thinking about, um, you're thinking about, you know, coming to church and perhaps you're saying, you know, I've, I've come to church often and I just, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't feel like I know the rest that you're talking about. It doesn't appear to me that um, these things are working. I feel just as miserable as ever. The question is, the question I would have for you this morning is, have you truly taken the yoke of Christ upon yourself? Not just outwardly, outward is required, but do you submit to the Lord Jesus Christ such that you give him ready obedience to everything that he would command you? He is your king, and you are reserving nothing for yourself in terms of sovereignty over your own life. You have handed all of that over to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you've simply said, I am content to be a slave of this one who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. If, if you think you can have Christ without that kind of submission, you are fooling yourself. Uh, Christ will have your entire life. He will have it all or he will have nothing. Um, remember what, what, the, what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, God cannot be mocked. Uh, you, you cannot mock the Lord Jesus Christ by saying, you know, I, I will just try to fool everyone and I will live the way that I want to without submitting to Christ and come to church and maintain a good reputation before others. You may be able to fool everyone. You will not be able to fool Christ and he will not be mocked. What is required in the gospel and the thing that is necessary for you to find true rest for your soul is to submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, to take your yoke upon him, to, to take his yoke upon you, uh, to take his yoke upon you because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. If you've not truly taken the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ upon yourself, you're not to be surprised then if you remain under the yoke of Satan and that you find this yoke to continue to be very hard and difficult. Take upon yourself the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to him as king that you might find this true rest for your souls. Notice the next thing that's said, the, the, the third command that's given. Not just take my yoke upon you, but also learn from me. Learn from me. The last command that Christ gives is to learn from him. This is recognizing that Christ is not just our Lord, but he's also our teacher. In fact, the word disciple is related to the word for, for learning. It comes, um, just comes from uh, the Latin word for, uh, uh, for that. That's, why we, that's how we get it into English. But, but the, the basic translation of it would just be a learner. Um, and this would be the, the way it works in, in Greek as well. So the, the idea is that uh, if you are a disciple of Christ, uh, even by calling yourself that, which every Christian is to be a disciple of Christ, um, all you're saying is that you're a learner. And you're a learner of the one who is the teacher. And the teacher is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So again, perhaps you're wondering, you know, I, I find myself at church and I'm doing all these things, but I don't see, feel like I'm finding this piece that you're speaking of. The question is not, have you submitted yourself to the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ? And are you his disciples such that you are learning from him? That he is the teacher. That you are willing to receive correction from him in your life. If you're unwilling to receive correction from the Lord Jesus Christ, you've not submitted to him as your teacher. And you should, again, not be surprised then that the truths of the gospel are not giving you comfort to your souls because you're not submitting to receiving them as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, uh, what would be some marks of being a true disciple in this sense, a disciple being a learner? A couple things uh, that you can ask yourself to see where you are in terms of how seriously you take uh, Christ as teacher uh, and how seriously you can call yourself a disciple. First, 
Uh, do you take seriously the preaching of the Word of God? Do you submit yourself uh, to the preaching of the Word of God? Do you submit to the instruction of the church? Uh, these would be public things where the Lord Jesus Christ um, expresses uh, His will to His people. The ways in which He teaches is, is through the church, the people that God has appointed uh, for this particular end. Uh, secondly, privately, do you read your Bible? Uh, are you submitting to uh, the instruction of the Scriptures and do you seek it out? Do you, or, or do you neglect it? You know, it'd be, it'd be um, quite a strange thing for someone to say, you know, I am a student of this person, this or that person who's maybe a part of this or that ideology. And for that person who says that to, to have never read anything that that person wrote, that that, that apparent teacher wrote. Um, the idea of calling yourself a student of something is that you have, you are seeking uh, all instruction you can get from that person. And Brothers and sisters, the instruction that Christ has given to us is the Word of God. Do you read the Scriptures? Do you uh, seek to memorize it? Do you seek to learn the Catechism? Do you seek to understand a summary of His teaching? Or are you seeking, as, as David has said, to store up the Word of God in your heart that you might not sin against Him? Uh, this is the mark of a true disciple. Now, you cannot do this without being uh, involved in the church meaning at the very least, the very bare minimum, being here on Sundays. Um, you can't do this without diligently studying the Scriptures yourself. Now, if you are a head of household, there is even an added responsibility that you have. Uh, are you laboring diligently in the, in the instruction of your wife and children? Uh, do you conduct family worship in a way that's to their benefit as well? Uh, can, you, uh, can you say that you are laboring to make sure that as a family, all of you are growing? in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would not just have yourself be a disciple, but you are um, inculcating discipleship, so to speak, into everyone who is within your home. Uh, this is the call of the gospel. This is the offer that's being put forward, the free offer that's put before all. Uh, if you will come to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you will take His yoke upon you, if you will learn from Him, you will find rest for your soul you will find rest for your soul. Notice what the Lord Jesus Christ says at the end of the text. He gives some of the reasons uh, why you are to do this. He says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. I am gentle and lowly in heart. Why should you come to the Lord Jesus Christ? He's gentle. He's lowly. You think of how amazing this is, that Christ is the eternal Son of God. You think of all the rulers of this world, who always are very impressed with their own strength and authority, they're impressed with their own uh, power and might, their own glory, and you think of the way in which they lord that over others. Think of if there was anyone who ever had the right to do that, it would be the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. And yet this one who demands that you call Him Lord is also the one who is humble, who is gentle, whom the Scriptures describe as one who will not break a bruised reed and a faintly burning wick, he will not quench. He knows your weaknesses. He does not stand aloof from your weaknesses, but even entered into that very weakness himself, that he might know what it is to experience all the kinds of miseries and sufferings that you experience. This is the king that is demanding your obedience. Will it be that you will take such a, a Lord that, and, and say that, that his, it is not, he is not worthy of my submission? one who would be so great and so glorious, who would yet be so humble 
and so gentle and so understanding of the weakness of every single sinner. And will it be that this one who is so great and glorious, that he could give you such a wonderful promise. Notice it's repeated again here in verse 29. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That you have this great king who is willing to be so humble and who is willing to enter into your weakness to such a great extent, who is so kind and gentle and who promises you this great blessing that you can find nowhere else, that you would... Uh, say that this one is not worthy of my submission. Why are you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ? He is gentle. He is lowly of heart. If you come to him, you will in fact find rest for your souls. For he says at the end in verse 30, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The question is, will you refuse to come to such a savior? Will you declare that his easy yoke and light burden to be too much for you to take upon yourself and that you would rather prefer the yoke of sin and death and try to break the yoke of death yourself without simply receiving the aid that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ? The question is, how long will you be willing to suffer under the weight, the crushing weight of that yoke without turning to the Lord Jesus Christ? There is a misery. Everyone sees it. No one can get away from it. There is a free offer. Every single person that comes to the Lord Jesus Christ will find rest for his soul. Will you, to the pain of your own self, refuse to come to one who is as glorious as the Lord Jesus Christ? Turn to him. He is truly a merciful Savior. He takes pity on those who are in the misery of sin. This is what it means when we say that God himself is merciful. He is merciful. He looks at you in your low condition, and he does not despise you, but he gives you aid in the gospel. This is what it means when we say that the Lord Jesus Christ himself is a merciful and gracious high priest. He looks on you in your low condition and helps. Uh, many of you are probably familiar with the 17th century work, very, very famous, uh, Pilgrim's Progress. I've had occasion to mention it in a number of sermons. And um, if you're familiar with that story, you'll know that it's about a Christian who is going on a journey to the celestial city. And uh, in this journey, he begins the journey by leaving the city of destruction. And he leaves because he has this heavy burden that's on his back. Can't do anything about it. He has no idea how to get rid of it. And so uh, there are others who who are content to be in the city of destruction, but Christian understands he wants to find some way to get rid of this very heavy burden. And so he meets various people along the way. Evangelist goes and tells him that he must go through the wicked gate, uh, the, the gate that in the scriptures is described as the, the narrow gate that leads to life. And so um, Christian goes through this gate, and he goes through the gate, and then he stands before the cross. And before the cross, uh, he finds that Amazingly, his burden, the burden that he'd been carrying around with him his entire life, is immediately lifted. It falls away from him, and it's gone. And he takes a, a, deep, a deep breath and breathes in uh, the great freedom uh, of the gospel and finds peace, and he finds rest. Brothers and sisters, this is uh, the rest that is found for everyone who looks to the Lord Jesus Christ who looks to the cross of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ to behold the one who is willing to die 
the Son of God, willing to humble himself to this great extent that you might have rest from your souls. And though it be, brothers and sisters, that many turn aside, there will always be many who will hear this call. They will simply cast it aside and keep going with their lives. Uh, There will be many who will fail to hear the call, yet the call still goes out to all. And it goes out to everyone this morning, everyone who's listening to this. This great call, if you will turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, that burden on your back that was true for everyone in the 17th century and is true for everyone now, that you will uh, find that to be uh, gone. It will fall off of you and you will go in and find rest. May it be that God would grant you to find this rest, that you would enter into the final rest for which you were made, the rest of the new heavens and the new earth, won by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has himself entered that rest ahead of his people. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we do thank you for this free offer of the gospel, that you uh, do not despise us in our weakness and in in our lowliness. Uh, Father, may it be that we would all find rest for our souls. Uh, Lord, we we do particularly pray for those who uh, may be here, may even be members of this church, um, yet perhaps are, uh, who have not yet truly submitted their hearts in this way uh, to you. Lord, we, we pray that this would be true of nobody. Um, and yet, Lord, we, we do know that the scriptures uh, do describe that not everyone who is, uh, who is of us in this way is necessarily of us. Uh, Lord, we do pray that uh, there would be a true heartfelt uh, submission to you in everything and that everyone would find this rest uh, for their souls. Lord, help us to see, as the author to the Hebrews has said, that while the promise to enter this rest remains, that uh, we fear uh, lest anyone should seem to fail to reach it. Help us, Lord, to bear one another's burdens, to encourage one another as long as it is called today, that we would uh, not fail uh, to enter into uh, this rest. May it be, Lord, that that this call of the gospel would be heeded and that many would be brought to repentance through it. For Lord, we do ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. May God enlighten the eyes of your heart, that through the preached word your eyes may be opened to behold the glory of Christ more and more.